Podcast for uh, the three by three of sandwiches. Mm. Kelly Wand picked this, so we're gonna do it tonight. I You're am Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Malinsky. Uh, I would like to be known as Polish Man Morosky. And with uh. a sandwich tagline, Kelly Wand. Movies are like sandwiches. The bread's the ending, and the opening credits, and the head cheese is the Lindelof, and the tomatoes the J-Lore, and the tassel toothpicks cure nightly, and the miracle whips the Lutz. And the movie poster's the garnish. And Perez, Rosie Perez is the guacamole. <laughs> and the Easter egg's egg salad. Kelly Wan, before we... And pasto. What's, yeah. What's before... the opsis? Garbage. Before we explore this further, Kelly Wand, I would like to ask, ask Dingus a question. Dingus, what's a movie you've watched recently? All right. This week I watched a movie uh, that a friend of mine recommended to me. Uh, she really wanted me to watch it. It's called White Boy Rick. Ew. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different sad effects for me and Tom. Have you guys seen that? I have, yeah. I saw it in the theaters, yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, so I'm curious to hear your eh, uh, but I was quite moved by it, although I, I found it a little too on the unprofet side of the tedious end of the genre. Um, I really liked it a great deal. Uh, I was surprised. Um there's this sense of, oh, geez, how would I put this? Um, oh, there's so many movies that it reminded me of. And uh, uh, to be fair to your, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> I'll explain it in a minute. It might not be for the reasons you think, but but go ahead. Sorry. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's. <laughs> It's like a low-rent version of a lot of different criminal movies. I, I mean, I'm not even talking about things like God, uh, like Goodfellas. But the, um, the cast is amazing. I mean, when I saw Rory Cochran show up, I was just – I was very excited. Oh, Rory Cochran's here, but he's only going to be in two scenes. All right, whatever. Um, I – I just found that this this sense of this kid getting involved in this world and having that sort of uh, James – what's his name from Animal Kingdom? Freshville. That's exactly Thank what I was you. thinking of, Dinkus. James Freshville. Yeah. James Freshville sort of like I'm blank, but there's a lot going on under the surface kind of thing that he had going on that I really liked about him. Uh, and how that counteracted with what was going on with Matthew McConaughey's character and with the sister who was, I, I mean, it was a weird family dynamic. And I really like that in movies. I like who was the family. sister? Was it Belle Pally? I forget who played. Do you remember? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Okay, yeah. Uh, I really liked her. And then Holy Cats, 
uh, Eddie Marsans shows up all of a sudden. Like, where did you come from? Did well, Dingus, just... he's in eighty-five percent of all movies. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was <laughs> that was the requirement. But all of a sudden, he stumbles into the movie and he's in for a couple of scenes. Uh, and I'm just like, how did this person get all of these people to stumble into his movie like this? Because Eddie Marsan is somebody I will watch any. I just I just love him. Uh, because of Happy Go Lucky, I loved what he did as in that one scene as the cab driver. Um, but anyway, uh, I, and there, I just think that the writing is very, very, very good and clean and weird and odd. Like uh, this family is great. Yeah, you'd you'd be surprised at how easy it is to take a wrong turn, no matter how short the journey. Those kind of things. I, I loved the writing in this movie, uh, even though I I think that it's a little clumsy at times. Was it a first-time director? Because I, I can't recall who directed it. Uh, or do you, even, do you even know the director's name? I mean, did you was it someone you knew of? No, I didn't okay. know of him. I just, uh, I just watched it because my friend Mindy said, uh, I'd really like you to watch this movie and so we can talk about it. Tell Kelly I mean, Wand in one sentence what it is. Uh, so it's a, a down-in-the-luck family where the boy is a, turns out to be a crime mastermind, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But, but, but I think you're I, – I, so my ugh comes from a word you're leaving out that you actually might not know about. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a biopic. Like, do you know that about this actual kid? Who oh, wrote a yeah. Book? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I actually do know that, but I keep dropping that out of my brain because it, there's the based on the true story. And then at the end, there's, this is what happened to him. And I couldn't care less about that. I just, I'm, I just push that out of my head. Right. I, I just think this as, uh, I, but you're right. Uh, you, you're right to say Ugh, in that particular in that particular point of view uh but i'm just not crazy about the idea of it being a biopic i don't i don't care i don't care i just want to see the story uh but the the kid uh, who's played by a guy named richie Merritt, um i think is is really good for what he does uh and i think matthew mcconaughey's really good i mean he he reminds me a little bit of uh, of the stuff he brought in, is it Killer Joe? Uh, well, sure, yeah. I don't remember uh, him. Killer Joe, though, he's a psychopath. Like he's not in, in this. He's a caring father. Uh, no, no, no. It's just that that power that he brings, that that ability that he brings as an actor, rather than being just being a ding dong, like in um, Serenity. Uh, Serenity, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but I think he's he's touching. He's emotional, whereas his son, uh, the Richie Merritt character who plays Rick, well, they well, they're both Rick, uh, doesn't necessarily have those qualities. Uh, I really like the fa- the family dynamic, and I, I like the weird way the movie went, but it does feel like, in ways, um, a low rent like State of Grace. Do you guys remember State of Grace? Sure. Yeah, yeah Sean Penn. Yeah. Yeah, the Phil, the Phil, Phil Genoum, right? Yeah. Irish, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Irish cop, yeah. Yeah, Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, I like it. It's good. 
yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great movie, but it feel this feels like a low rent version of this. But it also reminds me because it's all in Detroit. Uh, it reminds me of It Follows because Detroit is a very important character in It Follows, um, and I think it's important that this takes place there. So uh, give me your uggs, Tom. So my ugh is I I normally don't care about source material, uh, but. I do care about reality. And this guy, and you can read between the lines as you're watching the movie, and I I think if I'm watching this movie and I know it's based on a real story, uh, I I find myself wondering, well, wait a a minute. Whose perspective is this from? Who's writing this Uh, script? And clearly this is some kid who – he's a thug. He's a criminal. He sold guns. He sold drugs. He got busted. He was put in jail. But part of what he did for his defense is he claimed that he was, uh, I think, an FBI informant and that the FBI basically betrayed him and threw him under the bus. Uh, and it's in the movie, it's represented as, yeah, that's what happened. And he got screwed over by the FBI, by the feds. And he really wanted to be an honest, good guy and do right by his dad and do the right thing. But, oh, if those feds had no longer screwed him over, oh, those jerks. And, and no, he was a thug. He made the choice to revert to crime after presumably, and I, I forget if he actually – I forget how close he was to actual federal agents in terms of getting other people arrested. But after the fact, he went back into a, a life of crime, and he got busted. Uh, of course he did, and he was in jail. So he wanted to tell a story, the premise of, I got screwed over by, by jerk federal bureaucrat agents. Watch uh, it get reenacted. <laughs> well, that's what Everybody the movie is. is the, the movie yeah. is kind of presenting that perspective. Which uh, uh, I don't. I don't care if you're if you're an informant for the feds. If if you know you you are not guaranteed. Well, you know if you if you're an informant for the feds, you're an informant for the feds because you've been in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong people. And instead of going to jail, you make a deal with the feds to instead get those people arrested. And the feds don't owe you anything. <laughs> they just they make a deal not to arrest you. Or I'm sorry if you're an informant and you didn't get the life of Riley that you felt entitled to after rolling over on your friends i don't feel that sorry for you um so i so dingus it's like it's john spice so so when jennifer jason lee says you all oh, right i forgot she was us. in it yeah, yeah yeah when she says you have to trust us that's just his take on it well, well i imagine like a lot of these characters are, of course fictional and so they want to make if i recall like she's the sympathetic one and then her 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 boss's don't honor the deal. I forget the specifics, um, but uh, uh, yeah. So the, she's like the sympathetic agent who wants to do whatever, and I forget what was promised to him. But she wants to do right by him, and it's her mean bureaucratic bosses who won't let her. Right? Is that kind of the way it was presented? Uh, basically, yeah. yeah. But it, it's never. Cl- I mean, she plays the she plays the role really well in that she's. You have to trust us, but she's got this quality about her where she's like um yeah i'm telling you this i don't know how she does it but she does it uh jennifer jason lee is able to sort of give you this veneer of yeah i'm giving you the truth i mean to us as an audience i'm giving you the truth but you guys you know what i'm actually thinking um that uh, I'm I'm not going to do any of this. I'm just telling him to trust us because I'm getting what I want. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think it's the bosses necessarily. I, I think it's her just saying, her being a cop saying, this is what I want. 
I'm going to get it. Right, and so he works for the feds, and then after that's over, he the, the movie portrays it as, oh gosh, they really need the money, and there's just no other way for him to get it, so he has to go back into dealing drugs. And that's, that's a choice a person makes, and you should be held accountable for that. <clears throat> Tom, Amityville uh, Horror is a biopic. And that house is cross-eyed, <laughs> so they're picking on the disabled. All right, it's so crueler. So what what you're objecting to is the the whitewashing of of what's obviously a real world story because it's told from the perspective. It's like that. What's that Tom Cruise thing where the guy uh, flew drugs for the CIA? American made. Idol, American Made, right? American exactly. Made, yeah. It's like that kind of thing where, or, or it's like the uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a biopic where it's based on. You know the the uh, the Waco mini series. Doesn't sugarcoat him in that. But doesn't that go against your rule no. about uh, source material? Well, I like mean, I said, I don't care about source material, but I care about reality. The guy who ran drugs for the CIA, like that movie, presented some outrageous ideas about Contras being trained in Arkansas and stuff that w- was part and parcel of this guy's story for whitewashing his own reputation and what he did. Uh, you know, when you get uh, when you get a biopic Tanya, based. Bro. Exactly. You know what? I, Tanya, exactly, Kelly Wand. I, I Tanya, remember that exactly. one bothered you, and you're like, people like Kelly Wand believe this movie. <laughs> and I, Tanya, though, to, to its yeah. credit, though, like I loved I, Tanya as a story, even though yeah. I realized it was it was Tanya Harding whitewashing her, her reputation in that story and trying to make excuses. But I loved the story, and I loved Margot Robbie in it. I loved Allison Janney in it. My yeah. main problem with this thing is that I'm just sort of ranting about, in general, what a lot of these biopics do. But my main problem with White Boy Rick is that I wasn't sold on the, the kid in the lead. Uh, there was no – you know, oh, the, okay. I, I think James Freshville is a, a great comparison, but uh, I just thought he fell pretty short. It's a super subjective thing, but mainly the kid didn't work for me, and I just thought he was like super outclassed by the, the rest of the cast. Um, well, well, there are clumsy parts where where somebody calls him Scarface and then he walks in the house and his dad is asleep on the couch or passed out on the couch watching Serpico. I mean, that's just what? come on. Um, I don't even it, understand that joke. It's not okay, a joke. Yeah. It's oh. it, it's just a reference. It's hey, Scarface, because he's got a he's got. A mark on his face and he goes in the house and his dad's watching Serpico on the TV. Yeah, uh, but Serpico's not related to his story. I guess because he's an informant. No, they're I, both Al Pacino movies. Yeah, I think what's going on here no, is I get that part. the idea is like, like he's and, and I think this gets to whoever the, the actual character is. Obviously he's influenced by this Al Pacino glamorization of like criminal characters. Uh, very good. Well uh, yeah. Yeah. Then I get it. But, but <laughs> Removing it from the idea of – I mean I understand your objection about the distortion of reality. Uh, I definitely understand that. Um, but removing it from that, I would uh, I would say that I think the, the movie making is pretty good. It's not Goodfellas level, definitely. I mean it's not even close to that. But you have a line like – the the sister says, "I know I'm a loser," uh, and that whole like, uh, "Let's do a rehab in the house" thing is ridiculous. But uh, oh I yeah, know I forgot I, about that too. Right. I know I'm a loser, and her brother says, "Nah, you just you were just lost for a little bit. It's, that ain't the same thing." I I like that I like the difference between I'm a loser and I was lost for a little bit. Uh, and I think that there are a number of lines in this movie. This is a movie that for me 
just uh, was it had so many lines that I liked to harvest to say to say something weird. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next movie. Kelly, one, do you know who Bell Powley is? Uh, is he the bartender <laughs> in Serenity? <laughs> All right, Kelly, one, I have another question for you. Uh, What's the movie? That last know? one almost killed me, Tom. <laughs> let's see how you do with this one. What's a movie that you've seen recently? Uh, I had a good idea for one, but I did. I forgot. I didn't want to. I didn't do it yet. Next month I'll have a good one. But this <laughs> okay. time I have a. I watched the Nicole Kidman thriller "Before I Go to Sleep." It's Colin Firth uh-huh. and her and Mark Strong. So it's like a an exe reunion. It's got all the kings people. In ah, it. right. Yeah, sure. It's like a Hitchcock version of Memento. I don't want to spoil any of the twists, so I just wanted to say, yeah. Although at the end, I think everyone should have been, uh, like there should have been one last twist, like a Shyamalan thing. Oh, it was missing Strata. a final twist. That's too bad. One twist, yeah, that, too few. Things turned out too well, so that's my only complaint. Uh, what's the premise? Who directed it? Uh, Rowan Atkinson. Someone. No, he's someone's son, I think. And that's what I thought. Like, oh, he's too young to know how to do twists yet. Ah. Um, but... What's his first name? Rowan? Rowan Shyamalan, I would guess. <laughs> oh, I should research things before I talk about him, huh? Well, give us the premise. What's the premise of this? She wakes I'm... up, mm-hmm. and she has amnesia. So she's all, and she's in bed with Colin Firth. Rowan Joffe. So I assumed he was the son. Oh, Roland's son. Uh, oh, all right. right. But Roland made Captivity with Elisha Kuzma. Uh, Roland so has been on a, like a Xerox. <laughs> yeah, he's been on a downward slide since Killing Fields. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Killing, I remember liking Killing Fields at the time when I was nine uh-huh. or six or whatever I was. Well, it's but, remarkable for watching Dith Prang play himself. Like that that's part of what's what's timeless yeah. in that movie. Uh, and that's the good part of the movie. Yeah. Well, Sam Watterson is nothing to sneeze at. Um, in Capricorn One, I sneezed at him. <laughs> but <laughs> what did you do to OJ? He gets a free pass because he's always been really nice to me. Um, <laughs> before I go to sleep, because she's married to Colin Firth, and there's like pictures of their marriage in the on the wall. And then uh, he's all, you've been married, you were in a car accident, so you don't remember anything. So we do this every day. Okay, I'm going, we're going to work. Bye. Look at all these pictures. <laughs> and then you do it tomorrow morning also. And then Mark Strong calls her and goes, hey, I'm a doctor. Uh, go in your closet, and there's a camera, and talk into it. And then you'll see stuff you said the previous day. So you get slightly smarter every day. And I'll call you every day and go, hey, there's a camera in your closet. It's like Groundhog. So then she, like, figures out. So you go, oh, okay, someone's lying to her, and it's either Mark Strong or Colin Firth or everyone. And, uh, it's in, and it's short. I don't want to give away who it is. <laughs> it's a real big twist. I'll need to watch it, and then tell All me right. if I oversold it. It's fine. It's cute. <laughs> so actually, I just had to look up. Dith Prang didn't play himself. It was a, it was a, another guy who was actually a refugee from Cambodia, which so I, I misspoke and I had I wanted to look that up. That is a little make, confusing. Well, I wanted to look up and make sure I didn't too. get his name wrong because I was like, why on earth would I remember his Cambodian name after so long? 
and I realized, oh wait, that he didn't play himself. It was a another actor who. It wasn't even an actor. He was a doctor who fled Cambodia, who played Dithpran, who uh, was killed. <laughs> so he couldn't play himself. Oh, he gets killed? I thought it, in Killing Fields they hang out. Uh, I thought he had to go back into Cambodia for something and didn't get out. I could be mistaken. After the movie takes place? No, no. The actual actor is a fellow who fled Cambodia, but isn't the photographer who right. Sam Waterston had to leave behind in Cambodia – didn't, did he, he get out? Killed. I don't remember. He doesn't maybe. die in the movie. He gets out. Okay, good. So it's got a happy ending. Suspenseful. Yeah. So he and could have he played himself. Die, right, Why didn't he play saying. himself? Ugh. Well, I thought he did till five seconds ago. Like, oh, that's the guy, and now he's redoing. And I remember everyone talking about it at the time, like, oh, look, he's he, it's so brave of him to go back there and recreate his journeys through the rice paddy. Well, that's the thing is that it, what, the actor was a, a physician who had fled Cambodia. He was he was also a refugee. Well, why don't we just tell his there. story, and then he can play that, and it'll be like the Paris movie. Um, good point, yeah. Too bad. But, oh, well. So, yeah, before I go to sleep is a good reminder of how Killing Fields is. And as a biopic, it's confusing to me and Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but next month, I'm going to do uh, Friends with Benefits and uh, No Strings Attached back-to-back. And then you have to tell me which one something happened in. You know what I'm talking about? I have not seen either. So uh, that'll and be I hate challenging. I all four of them, and one's got Ashton, and the other one's got Milakunas. So it's a little confusing. So, uh, all right, so that's that's a challenge for us. We we've got a month to get ready for that. Yeah, it's something to look forward to. Wait, Dingus has to do that too. Like he's got to watch both of them too. It's just not just me, right? I was gonna do Ugly Truth, that I can only watch it in five minute spurts, literally, and I go, Ugh, I'd stop watching. What is Ugly Truth? It's Gerard in a romantic comedy. Because I hate romantic <laughs> comedy, so I'm trying to watch a whole one all the way through, and it's really tough. And it's right. Catherine Heigl, who's, like, too hot to play relatable girls. And, <laughs> and he's, like, a male chauvinist host, like, oh, yeah, take the tits on that. So she's, like, repelled by him. So I, I'm, they haven't fallen in love yet, but I'm assuming. She's, like, a TV producer. I, I love that, uh, that whole genre of things because – uh, it reminds me of the story because uh, I watch a lot of uh, YouTube cooking videos. <laughs> uh, and I'm listening. I like where this is going. The Gerard to this. Yeah. There, there's this series of videos on Bon Appetit uh, that are just, I mean, they're, they're not well, I mean, they're barely produced, but they're in their test kitchen. And Michael Shannon is in there cooking with one of their test uh, cooks, and they're back to back. And, and, it sounds fun. and yeah. it's great. It's actually great. And and he's making fried chicken. Um, and you just see them distracted and like pay attention to something else. Exactly. But yeah. she she has to say or, over her. She has to say without looking at him. All right. This is how you break down a chicken. And this is what you do when you break down a chicken. Uh, and this reminds me of. Uh, because he, because the reason he's there is to promote something. I mean, whenever an right. actor goes to do that kind of thing, and he's really good at it. I mean, he's he's really funny. Uh, but he's there uh, promoting a movie called, uh, not a movie, but promoting a show he's in on Broadway called uh, Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. Uh, and uh, in that show, he plays a line cook in a diner. 
so he knows a certain amount of things. He's had to learn. He's had to learn a certain Research. amount of things, uh, but he doesn't know all of those things. And his mom is a really good cook, and his grandmother owned a diner. Um, so I I just love the idea of that because uh, when Kathy Bates, who originated the role, I think uh, of Frankie and Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lynn on Broadway found it because she's supposed to be a, a frumpy, not very good looking woman. Uh, when she found out that Michelle Pfeiffer was playing her in the movie, she just apparently just laughed her ass off. Uh, so what you just said reminds well, me. Well, they'd always change. It's like they're really hot and there's ditzy there. Oh, what? Oh, 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 I'm crazy. So it's like the ladies watch them and go, Oh, see, she's just like me. She's quirky. Oh, she she stresses about work and gets stuck up trees naked. It's just that totally thing. Totally relate, of, man. Me and Heigl, same thing. Same it's just that thing of Hollywood uh, uh, uglying down certain really hot actresses. Right, because hot people wouldn't have these problems. Right. They'd just be fucking each other. <laughs> they don't get stuck up trees. That's the thing. That's what makes the movie so annoying to me. And yet at the same time... Uh, Unturnoffable. Like, yeah, know, yeah. Right. Heigl, that stupid. Okay. All right. So, so uh, and the guys are always schlubby. All right. Yes. So, Tom, what did you see? Uh, we on this podcast all like Lynn Shelton. Big fans of Hump Day and your sister's sister. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you guys have caught up the movie she's done since then. She did something uh, with uh, Alice and Janney called Touchy Feely, which I, I really like the Alice and Janney, and there's a guy named Josh Pace in it. I really like their scenes. The rest of it I don't care for. She did a movie I didn't like at all with Keira Knightley and Chloe Moritz Grace. Ugh. Uh, ruiner. Oh, called Laggies. Right. <laughs> uh, but she, she, the, the thing she did, mo- not most recently, but leading up to most recently, uh, was a movie called Outside In, which has a tremendous Edie Falco and Caitlin Deaver performance. Unfortunately, the movie is a uh, Jay Duplass sandwich, where he's in the middle, and Caitlin Deaver and Edie Falco are the bread. Uh, and it's an inverted structure. <laughs> Jay Duplass ah, can't he can't quite rise to the occasion. I, I feel like it must have been some sort of contractual obligation, because she's worked with the Duplass brothers so much. Uh, although I do kind of want to go back and see it after having seen Prospect Dingus. Because, you know, I, I liked J. Duplass in Prospect, what he was doing in that, so maybe if I were to see Outside In again, I might not mind him so much. But she just released uh, her most recent movie, which is called Sword of Trust. <laughs> Don't uh. laugh. There's an actual literal sword in this movie. It Uh-oh. is a kind of a MacGuffin... Ch- it's a... It's a uh, it's on the farcical. A lot of her movies are kind of social farces, and it's definitely on the more straight-up farcical side uh, of her movies. Uh, and it's about four. It's, it's about two pairs of characters who are kind of a straight man and a, and a goofy, dumb uh, sidekick. And these two pairs of characters from very different walks of life, they come together over a certain specific thing, namely this sword, which is, like I mentioned, the MacGuffin, uh, and they kind of have an adventure about around this sword with, uh, well, I won't, I won't tell you. So it, w- what Lynn Shelton does with this farce is, and this is what I admire about it, is she takes four very unlikely characters and forces them to interact with each other. 
And the farce stuff gets a little bit broad by the time it's over, and I didn't care so much for that. But I really loved the actors so much, and there's a moment in the middle of the movie where the four actors have to sit and wait and talk to each other that I think is the strong point of the movie because the actors are uh, a woman who you've seen a million times. You probably don't know her name. Her name is Michaela Watkins. She's a comedic actress. She's got like 100 credits. You've seen her all over the place. She plays a lesbian whose girlfriend is played by Jillian Bell. And Jillian Bell, uh, she's got like her, her hair cut really short. She's sort of like looks really butchy. And they're, they're a very loving gay couple who have come to uh, uh, Birmingham, Alabama for an inheritance, for Jillian Bell's inheritance. Uh, that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation, uh, Mark Marin runs a pawn shop in Birmingham, Alabama. He's like an East Coast Jewish guy running a Birmingham, Alabama pawn shop. And his sidekick is an actor, I've seen him previously before, uh, a guy named John Bell, who just plays the, the, a consummate, like, dumb idiot guy. So these two pairs of characters, there's this thing with the sword, they come together with the sword, and then they have a kind of an adventure, but the great part of the movie is the middle of it when these four characters talk to each other, and you realize, look, Lynn Shelton can do farces, but she cannot help but really be in love with these characters and really give them uh, time to express themselves. And she's so good with actors. Mark Marin, who uh, the guy's obviously very talented at, at listening to people, you know, from his interviews and his podcast. He's a very assertive, dynamic fella. Uh, he's just great in this role. And in this, this scene where the four of them all talk to each other, Mark Marin's kind of the centerpiece of it. And... One of the reasons he's a centerpiece is because he talks about his character's uh, backstory, who up to now you don't you don't really know it. Right. He's kind of a uh, like Mark Maron in real life. He's kind of an, an acerbic fellow. Uh, he's not super open. Uh, he's kind of a jerk to people, uh, and he really opens up during this middle scene. And part of the reason it works is because some groundwork that had been laid previously in the movie. So I want to tell you about one scene in Sword of Trust that happens early on that really caught my eye. So you meet Mark Maron. He's running this pawn shop. And you see him interacting with a couple of customers, with his neighbor, and it establishes, okay, here he is running the pawn shop. Uh, and a woman comes into the pawn shop who uh, looks, you know, 40, mid-40s, but obviously trying to look younger. She's got her hair in ponytails. She was once probably super pretty. She's still got her looks, but she's starting to lose them. She's getting older. Uh, and she's really quirky. Uh, and odd, and there's something going on where she has a, a, a meaningful connection to Mark Marin, but his reaction to her is just to give her this kind of hard, saddened look. And he doesn't really talk to her. She's coming in, and she's asking to borrow money. And this actress who comes in, like, she really breathes life into the movie. Like, she's a spark. She comes in <laughs> and just kind of, she's like amazing. And she's played by Lynn Shelton herself. Uh, which, is, which is great because I, Lynn Shelton has had little parts like in Hump Day and I've seen her before. But as halfway through the scene, I was like, oh, my God, that's Lynn Shelton. And she's so great and dynamic. And she just gives Mark Maron – she's so generous as an actor even though the character is kind of removed and weird and she's got some ulterior motive wanting to borrow money. But she just gives Mark Maron so much for his hardened, sad look to her to really be fraught with meaning. And she comes in to borrow money, and he turns her down. He's like, look, I, I can't help you, Deirdre. I, I'm not a charity. And she leaves, and that's that. Uh, but then when he opens up later in the scene, he talks more about their history. And 
In describing this girl, Deirdre, with whom he has a history, he describes her as loopy, pretty, and having an edge about her. And <laughs> any any monologue, like those, that's a great way to portray a character. But what's kind of remarkable about this monologue and about where Lynn Shelton puts it in this movie is we've already met this character. She has shown us and not just told us about this character who's a big part of Mark Maron's past. Uh, and I love that, that you know, she, she comes in and she catches your eye and you remember her. And then later when he talks about her, you're like, oh, yeah, that's who that was. Uh, it makes perfect sense. That's Lynn Shelton breathing life into a character who might otherwise have been just described. Um, so sort of truth. Uh, uh, you know, I just put it on second tier. Lynn Shelton, way better than like Laggies or Touchy Feely. Of course, not quite a Your Sister's Sister or Hump Day, uh, but I quite enjoyed it. Uh, also, Toby Huss, who we really like, uh, has a really fun part as a as a, a white supremacist. <laughs> so, really Mark, like. uh, when you're saying Mark Maron, are you talking about the comedian uh, podcaster dude? Is he a comedian? I always thought he. I don't yeah. know if he did stand up comedy, but I just know him as podcasting. And talking about uh, being in uh, what's the Cameron Crowe thing? Uh, almost famous. <laughs> he's in Mike and Dave Need Wedding. Oh, right, exactly. He's, he's in that he's opening. He says, "Open the gate." Lock the gates. Yeah, lock yeah. the gate. Yeah. And he, and exactly, Kelly Wan. He's the opening the bartender, the bar proprietor, at the beginning of Mike and Dave Need Wedding dates, and he basically plays himself there. And he's the same yeah. character here. Instead of being an asshole bartender, he's the asshole pawn shop owner. He's always that guy. He's yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. On Glow, he's Mark Maron. He's like, oh, he's in Glow. Was... Yeah, he's oh. major part of Glow. He's the coach. Oh. And I saw a stand-up special he did. And also, there's a good Douglas movies where he totally picks on Kumail Nanjiani. And no, I know, right? Kind of but but at that point, I just and wins. At that point, I just know him as a podcaster, though. I didn't know he did stand-up. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So yeah, Mika- he had a special. You said it's Michaelo. Uh, well, well, Watkins, did I see that? Watkins. Right? Hold on. Yeah. Okay, uh, was she on Veep? Oh gosh, yeah, I've got that's got to be one of the many places I've seen her. She's someone from uh, Groundlings. Uh, so ah, the Groundlings. Let's go. Okay. So she's she got. I'm talk. sure she's got plenty of. Like I said, she's got like a hundred credits, and her face is so familiar. Uh, and and really, so I'd been getting press releases about this movie for a while, and it was being sold as Mark Maron and Jillian Bell. But really, it's Mark Maron and Michaela Watkins. Yeah. Uh, they're the leads. They play the straight characters in it. The uh, uh, the other characters like Jillian Bell and uh, the other guy with Mark Maron are kind of the sidekicks. Um, but they're they're the two leads and they're really good together just because they're so un, unlike each other and Lynn Shelton has created this farce this farcical situation that forces them to interact with each other. Uh, well, if I'm a, if if the person I'm picturing is who I'm picturing, um, I really like her. I think Michaela. You said Watkins. Watkins. Yeah. Uh, um, she might have been in. in uh, that voiceover movie too. She but, is, yeah, uh, the Lake Bell one. Yep, definitely. Okay, uh, I okay, I'm remembering the same person. Yeah, she's. I, I, I really, I really like her. Yeah, good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Second tier, uh, Lynn Shelton's uh, better than most. Shows. It's still top shelf stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Take that over mid range, Woody Allen. Oh, get right, Kelly Wand. See? I yeah, really. It, 
because as far as farces go, like Woody Allen's certainly classic, but I just, I just, there's so much baggage there these days, and I just have heard the joke so many times. Like, I don't know that comedy. I don't care about that. I was just playing to your zone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. I like Woody Allen movies. You probably go, what? Why? No. (laughs) Let me tell you this. Woody Allen, Woody Allen, way better than Mel Brooks. Uh, yeah. Okay. I like Mel as a dude. I like him as a man, as a human. He has a no. very nice body. No, uh, I, I think Woody Allen has a better score, but I don't know how much you have to deduct for. Allen's not made that many movies. It's a weird comparison. So one guy's made fifty movies. The other guy's made four. And yeah. Two of them are space balls and Robin Hood and tights. <laughs> so that's what Tom's Tom's sitting on his summit, enjoying his victory. Yeah, Woody Allen, <laughs> suck it, Mel Brooks. <laughs> All right. Well, Kelly Wand, let's do a three by three. Tell us what the topic is, why you thought of it, what are the parameters we need to honor here. Talk yeah, us into this. Uh, three best sandwich scenes in movies with sandwiches. And uh, I managed to keep all mine to sandwiches and not hot dogs or hamburgers. But I almost didn't. I thought of a really good alternate. Uh, you almost didn't because you have three choices and you almost didn't. Well, they're all sandwiches, so I satisfied my own police. I go, well, maybe it's just New Orleans Big Easy Police. Like I can, since I'm on, since I'm the police, I can break my own rule. But they can't. So, so they're all muffalettas, then. You know what? Lettuce. No muffalettas. Never mind. You said New Orleans. What? Muffaletta is a famous. I remember, yeah. I uh, never mind. High speed screw torpedo in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen. No, I like learning quotes because I don't remember them. There's, so. it's not a quote. It's a thing about sandwiches. The, it's is that mo- his nickname for Ellen Barton? No, it's it's the oh. name of a sandwich. It's called a muffaletta. Muffaletta. I don't even know. A, wait, what's on it? Is it lettuce? Or do they call it lettuce when they put it on the sandwich? There, what's on it? It's got yeah. a. It's got a. It's got this awesome. <laughs> like uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in food. You, I, we, you this, love food. Yeah. Uh, imagine a sandwich on a piece of on a on a loaf of bread on a bun. Wait, hold on. You're going too fast. Sandwich on a loaf of bread. Okay, continue. Basically, that that it's a round piece of uh, bread uh, bun that is as big as your head, essentially. Uh-oh. You cut it in half, and you put on this olive spread, and then you put on meat and pickles and and whatnot, and then you cut it. And I mean, the muffaletta is the famous New Orleans sandwich. I haven't had it. It sounds good, though. It's awesome. It's really muffaletta. delicious. Yeah, it's a muffaletta. Come on. What are you doing? What's going on over well, there? Well, that's a good joke, because I was doing Big Easy thing. So that makes sense. Right. Tom, you ever had a muffaletta? I've, I've never heard of this. Yeah, I, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, it's like eating your head. Uh, by the way, who's introducing Delicious. next week, next month's topic? So who goes first? I, I, I knew I, Tom was thinking about math. I could tell. <laughs> uh, I think Thoughtful I am. Because, All right. Uh, as far as I can see... Uh, the last one we did was... <laughs> we should rehearse these. Fake... Uh, fake celebrity. So we'll be Dingus. Celeb- so Dingus, start yeah. us off with your third favorite sandwich scene. Maybe All give right, us a quote I... from the movie. Oh, oh yeah. I should. 
you got this? Yeah, I got this. And then oh, right. the last uh, the last line in the scene Easy is movie. he's ready to cook. Um, so this is the, the, the name of the sandwich is the Cubano. And it's from a movie called Chef, which I watched oh. again. And I really love this movie. Uh, another movie almost uh, surpassed it. But I just love this movie. This is directed by John Favreau. It was in 2014. And the reason I love it is because John Favreau plays this uh, this chef, uh, the titular chef, uh, who leaves his job because Justin Hoffman, the restaurant owner, keeps making him make the same boring boring stuff that he's made for years and years and years and um and when the when the famous blogger comes in um who is played by by the way uh oh, oh good i can't remember all of a sudden oliver platt oliver platt uh who's played by Fat oliver musketeer platt. um when the blogger comes in to review his restaurant, he trashes him. And uh, John Favreau is trying all these different things. He's got all these great ideas that he wants to riff upon. And Dustin Hopkins like, this is my food. You're going to feed them exactly as I want because this is my menu. And so he feeds the same things to Oliver Platt the next time he comes in. And Oliver Platt was like, why am why did I come back here? And so uh, John Favreau basically just walks out. Uh, but then he buys a food truck uh, with his uh, with money from Iron Man, <laughs> with money from uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who's his ex-wife's last boyfriend, husband, whatever. Um, and so he buys. Oh, his, yeah, well, who hasn't? Uh, and so he has to clean out this this food truck that's just that looks dilapidated and terrible, and they 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 clean it out, and uh, but they can't get the stove or the new oven into it because it, uh, an oven I don't know if you guys know this but an oven is fairly heavy, um, and so they get the guys who work for Robert Downey Jr. That, Not a microwave. Uh, John Leguizamo says. Look, if you guys will help us do this, we will feed you, and they run. We will give you the best sandwich you've ever had. So they run over, they they pick up this the the all of them pick them pick up the uh, the oven, put it in the truck. It's really a great little scene, and then they get to work making these Cubano sandwiches, which are uh, which are specific sandwiches that have uh, essentially. Butter, lettuce, mayonnaise, um, ham, and cheese and pickles, and then are put in a press. I mean, th this is very important as far as a Cubano is concerned. You put it in a press, and uh, and they have to be done in a certain way. The key to why this is my third favorite sandwich is that John Favreau is doing this with his son. Who had who he's divorced from his his wife, uh, and his son insists on going with him after school is out, uh, 
to do this. He wants, you know, he his his dad wants to take him to like uh, Six Flags and all those kinds of things, and the kid just is like, no, I just want to hang out with you. Uh, so his dad teaches him to cook, and he's like, this is what you have to do on the grill on the plancha, as it is. You just you just take that over and it's like it would be like doing a waffle but without the the all of the indentations um and once it's golden brown delicious you take it out and there's this moment in the movie where they're feeding the guys who have put the oven in the van uh where the the kid who's just learning this yeah he's probably 12 years old i guess uh pulls a sandwich out and the top of the sandwich is burned and he's like ah that's good enough and uh john fevreau and um john legozamo who have worked together for years look at each other and he's like you got this yeah i got this and then he takes his kid out in the back behind the van the food truck and he said and he said and he just gives him this really beautiful uh little bit of advice about this is what has made me why would we feed these people that do you do you honestly i mean i understand i understand that we're fast but do you really want to feed these people this and his son is like no, I understand. And then the line after that is, all right, he's ready to cook. Because what John Favreau is saying is that this sandwich is unacceptable for our customers. And these men have earned a better thing. And he's teaching his son that just by making a sandwich. And I love that. I love that little aspect of the movie, and that's it. Is Sofia Vergara his girlfriend in this movie? Uh, Sofia Vergara, Vergara, sorry, is his ex-wife. Uh, she's the kid's mom. That's right up there with him thinking that he's uh, worth being with Marissa Tomei. Right, right, or yeah. No, <laughs> or I mean, Brooke Langton. Well, there's a reason she divorced him, probably, but although. Uh, well, I won't give away the end of the movie, right. um, but yeah, you're Not for a sandwich making. Probably. You're right, but she's really good in the movie. I mean, she's really good because she's a really successful woman. She's running a business. She's running a household, um, but she's still making time for her son to be with his father and uh, finding opportunities for him when he goes to Miami to get this truck so she's looking out for him it sounds uh, like a pale reflection of her role in hot pursuit with reese witherspoon where she plays the wife of a drug lord on the run from the cops that was a, that's what i was gonna say yeah. 
That's a sandwich I'd like to be in. What? Mm. Kelly wanted inappropriate. Yeah, yeah Reese's thing. <laughs> All right, Tom, what's your third favorite? So in the movie The Rapture uh, by uh, Michael Tolkien, who who people know is the, the writer of The Player, uh, it's, a, it's a movie about Mimi Rogers just flipping out and becoming a, a weird Christian and thinking the rapture is going to come and absconding out into the – Pardon? Duchovny, brah. Duchovny, yeah, it's before anybody had heard, thought of uh, the guy from X-Files being in Californication. He's got a, like a super hot sex scene with her early on in the movie. Uh, so she absconds with her daughter out into the desert to wait for the rapture to happen. Um, and part of what happens is she doesn't go out there with any like camping gear or food or anything. They just think they're going to run out there and God's going to have a rapture and they're going to be assumed up into heaven. And as it doesn't happen, they start getting hungry. And the daughter says, well, she says, to the daughter, okay, let's, we'll go in town and we'll get some food and then we'll come back out and wait for God to start the rapture. So they go into town and because, <laughs> wait, wait for God. To, to be fair, it is like I'm being glib about it and it is, it's not a Christian movie. It's Michael Tolkien. Uh, it's sort of about a, a religion as, uh, uh, being dis- as, as being a, a huge illusion, but it has a really provocative ending, uh, which I appreciate. So they go into town because they're hungry, and I I misremembered this scene, but it, I always remembered this scene because this scene is where the movie is obviously fiction. This scene would never happen in real life. And here's the scene. She's at the window of a drive-thru, and the dude hands her the food... And then says, okay, that'll be, you know, however, my $10 or whatever. And she gives him this look, this sad, pitiful look, and then just drives away. No. Now, exactly. Nobody's going right. to hand you your food before you pay for it, Michael yeah. Tolkien. That's an implausible scene. Maybe that's part of her illusion. Maybe could be. Could be. The unreliable narrator part. Uh, yeah. But then uh, driving, they, uh, they uh, you know, she drives away and they, they, they have hamburgers. They have stolen hamburgers that they got. Uh, but it's but also God's bounty, maybe. Well, maybe they they changed their rules based on this movie. Maybe that right. guy's an idiot. Right. It could be. Well, the funny thing is the guy <laughs> – there's two – so I, I remember the scene being she comes up and she's into the drive-thru and she orders and she's uncertain because they don't they didn't bring any money with them. And she comes up to the window and she's not sure. It just – it starts in the middle of the guy leaning out the window handing her the bag. Like there's no lead up to it. And then she just sits there and gives him a look and drives away. And then it cuts to the two guys working in the fast food restaurant. Front, and yeah. one guy saying, "Oh no, you don't," and the other guy saying, "Ah, oh, relax, man. She had a kid." <laughs> That's uh, it. That would happen. <laughs> <laughs> so he was going to uh, give it to her anyway. So it does make sense. Right, right. So he's like, "Oh, it's the poor bro." So there you go. It's the one hamburger. of those movies where mm-hmm. I think it is real at the end, and it was the rapture happens. I think we talked about this once before. Right, right. I, I actually didn't get to rewatch it, uh, unlike the other two we'll talk about, but I didn't get to rewatch it, so uh, I, I can't come down one way or the other on that, Kelly Wand. It's not like her the fantasy thing... wouldn't have ended that bleakly. Uh, like God's okay. Punisher. I don't have – I'm not armed for this debate, I'm afraid. So oh, I'll okay. concede. I concede to you, Kelly Wand. You're right. What about Dread? That you're wrong. You have no idea, and I'm ready to go toe to toe with you on that any time, any day. You you say when, and I'll be there, Kelly Wand. Oh, I'll meet you was, on the field of battle. She was such an asshole to him. However, Kelly Wand, we have a more important issue here, and that is, what is your third favorite sandwich scene in a movie? 
I really like all my picks, which is rare. Um, and I really am excited because Dingus is a foodie. I knew he would have some really some choices that make me hungry. That has nothing to do with what you said. My number three is uh, in 22 Jump Street when um, Channing Tatum and Wyatt Russell are sitting on top of like a brick wall or something. And uh, he, Channing Tatum drops his roast beef sandwich and uh, Wyatt Russell drops a Q-tip that he's going to put in his ear and it lands in the sandwich. And they're like, oh, but my meat cute is meat Q-tip. So it's their meat cute. The way they, they say the words meat cute is because his Q-tip's in his meat. That's actually right. a line in 22 Jump Street. Yeah, and you don't know. You remember you didn't know what a meat cute was. Right, right. You, you guys had to. That, you would have gone, "Whoa, that sandwich looks delicious." <laughs> what I remember from that, just because of the movie I watched recently, is uh, Jillian Bell's scene uh, with, is it, I guess Seth Rogen. Are we fucking? <laughs> like that fight scene that they yeah. have. <laughs> Wait, which movie was that? In Twenty Two Jump Street, where where she has the oh, fight yeah, scene yeah, with yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forgot that. She's so Wait, cute in Seth that. Seth Rogen. <laughs> you mean Jonah Hill? Jonah right. Hill. Good lord. Right. Exactly. The other. The other tubby one. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. Exactly. Jonah Hill. Yeah. They I have the fight scene. Wrong with the image of everything. <laughs> right. All right. I'm caught up now. All right. But yeah. Is, uh, that mm-hmm. movie's kind of okay, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's no Twenty One Jump Street, but I quite like that. Oh. Yeah. Someone told me, remember over the end credits of 22 Jump Street, it shows all the sequels? And actually, Seth Rogen is in that sequence because he replaces Jonah Hill in one of the sequels. That's why I got it confused. Right, exactly. But someone told me that all those things, there's one where they go to space, there's one where they go to cooking school. Dingus! Uh, (laughs) And uh, someone told me that all those are canon. And they're gonna if they met, keep making those sequels, there's gonna be one where they go to space. Now, is the person who told you this someone who is responsible for determining the 21 Jump Street canon? No, but he doesn't smoke pot, so I trusted him. <laughs> All right. As Wait a minute, I don't smoke pot, and you don't trust me with the whole thing about Judge Dredd being a dick to Mama. I actually think you do smoke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dingus. That's some kind of stoner would be that. I don't know. Come on, buttermilk? That's a stoner's thing to say. Oh, but that, okay, that, yeah, you got me there. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, Dingus, yeah. what is your second favorite sandwich in a movie? Oh. All right, here's a quote from it. So that means you take a bullet for me. And so this is from the movie Dave. Uh, and this, oh, God, I love this scene so much. Oh, my God. Holly, pretend we've seen it. All Kelly, right. I love this. I love this topic. Yeah, they um, do too. It's grown on me. So, uh, Dave, of course, is a movie about the president of the United States, um, and this idea. We have a paradox set in America. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, the idea that um, they have duplicates for the president, uh, or doubles for the president, rather. Uh, it's so, Devil's Double, set in America. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. It, uh, but, <laughs> you don't have to stop. Last one. For uh, for certain situations. And in this situation, the president wants to go and... For Zenda. 
Laura Linney in a hotel room and he sends out this guy who's a, a presidential impersonator um, named Dave uh, to just walk out after this speech he gives to this lawyer's convention. Um, and he looks exactly like him because it, you know, it's Kevin Klein and he's played by the same actor. Uh in both roles. Is his last name irrelevant and that's why it's called Dave? Like Dave Johnson. No, I think, I think they're just being smooth. Uh, Dave's the, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. No worries. Um, so of course the president has stroke while having sex with his paramour. And, uh, and so the chief of staff, and his henchman, Kevin Dunn, uh, him to have sex with her. decide, well, what we're going to do is just bring Dave back in and pretend he's the president. And so Dave has to pretend to be the president. Um, but there's this there's this time when he's with the Secret Service agent played by Ving Rhames, um, who has to watch over him and is just. Very, very, uh, what's the word? How, how do you say it? Do you say taciturn or tacaturn? I don't know. He's Tac- taciturn. Um, he's, he's very, he, he doesn't say anything to him. And Dave is standing there at the table. He decides he wants to have a late night snack and he goes down into the kitchen. And there's this just enormous amount of ingredients on this table it's amazing and he makes this great and i would call it the dagwood sandwich because uh, i don't know if you guys have ever read blondie but um but the dagwood sandwich is the the famous like super tall stack sandwich and dave is basically making that while he's talking to this secret service agent he's like well what's up with the president and his wife I can't say. I mean, it's you can't say or you won't say. I won't say. I mean, I mean, he's just very careful about all of those things. And Dave is just assembling the sandwich, and he's putting in the cold cuts. He's putting on the mayonnaise. He's putting on the lettuce. He's putting on the pickles. I mean, it's it, and it's just beautiful bread. And then, and this is why this is my number two pick. He cuts it in half. He puts one half of this huge sandwich on his plate because the president, you know, I mean, there's there's another there's a bratwurst scene as well involving Charles Grodin. But this is my favorite moment. Uh, He puts that huge half of sandwich on his plate and then he grabs another plate and puts the other huge half of sandwich on that plate and scoots it over to the other side of the table and points at Ving Rhames and points at the chair in order to say, sit down and have a sandwich with me. You know, a Secret Service agent isn't necessarily going to do that, but... I don't want pickles on my half. But from his point of view, as a guy who works in an employment agency and does presidential impressions... From his point of view, I I share my food with the people I'm with. I'm not going to make something for myself and eat it and and ignore you. 
Whereas the other guy who just had a stroke would say, F everybody else, I'll take whatever I want. But Dave says, this is mine. Half of it is yours. Have a seat and eat with me. And I love that idea because cooking for me or making anything for somebody is uh, is an element of of caring and affection and that that is a very very meaningful thing and dave is doing that in that moment but it's a little moment it's just a little tiny thing but that sandwich also looks so good that i'm almost salivating talking about it because it's just a gorgeous it's like subway it's like a subway sandwich elevated to the highest level it's just beautiful uh so uh that moment where he's in that in the white house kitchen with ving rames uh man i love that moment doesn't he also play the president and his double in wild wild west Kevin Klein. Jesus Grant. I don't know. He, I think he plays the spider. Oh, anyway. All right. Kelly right. Wand, what is your second favorite no, scene? Wait, Tom. It's Tom. Oh, oh, me. Okay, right. Uh, right, right. I'm, uh, okay, my second favorite sandwich in a movie. <clears throat> I don't think either of you have seen this movie, although I, I heartily recommend it to you guys again. I know I've mentioned it before. I think it was on my top ten this year. Uh, there's a, a movie by a, a Quebecois director who I don't know who he is. I, I, I think it might be his only thing, uh, called Whitewash with Thomas Hayden Church. Um, and Thomas Hayden Church, early in the movie, he's a snowplow driver who drives his snowplow out into the middle of the woods and camps out there. And he's on the run from something, and in the course of flashbacks... We determine why he's out there and why he's hiding. He's on the lam. Hold on, I have to cough. All right, I'm back. Uh, so he's he's on the lam. He's hiding. Uh, he he's he's staying in these woods, even though he's super hungry. He's super cold. Apparently, he's done something terrible and he can't go back home. And in the course of flashbacks, we find out what this is. And this movie unfolds uh, as kind of a, a dark comedy. But at a certain point. While he's wandering around the woods, like looking for houses where he can get food, he comes out on a road house, like a gas station that has a diner in it, and he is just so hungry, he runs out, and, and this is shot in super snowy Canada. It's cold, it's dark. Uh, he crosses the road, he goes into the diner, and he orders, he's just so hungry and he's so elated to be able to get food. He orders two hamburgers and a large coffee and a piece of pie, and he sits and he waits, but he's really nervous that someone might recognize him. So he, he surreptitiously grabs a newspaper, and he looks through the newspaper to see if his picture is in there for anything that's been done. And sure enough, there's his picture in the paper. <clears throat> so while he's waiting for his food, he realizes he needs to get out of there. It's not safe to stay in there. So the waitress... She brings over the two hamburgers and offers to, apparently this is a thing in Canada, says, do you want cheese on it? And he's like, yes, I would <laughs> like cheese. And apparently in Canada, when you want cheese on it, they take cheese product out of the wrapper and they put it on the burger for you at your table. And she starts to do this and he's like, oh, I, I, I can take care of it. Uh, thank you. And he's trying to be polite, but it's still that, that awkward Thomas Hayden Church performance. He's, he's so uh, much fun in this. <laughs> so she walks aware. away. 
She exactly. She walks away, and when she's not looking, he unzips his jacket, takes one of the hamburgers, and puts it in an inside pocket in that jacket, and then takes the other hamburger. And I'm not clear why he doesn't put it with the first hamburger, but then he puts that one in his side pocket, <laughs> in his jacket, and then he zips up his jacket and he goes and he pays, and then he he hustles out of there real quick. So he's got the sandwiches in there, uh, the hamburgers. And as he's leaving, he realizes he also needs to get gasoline for the snowplow, which he's been running it for the heater uh, in the woods and, and the light. So there's a gas station down the road where he hasn't already snuck in and eaten. So he goes to that gas station and he buys some cans, some plastic cans, and fills them with gas. And there's a shot of the proprietor's perspective watching Thomas Hayden Church. You've got to picture this. It's night. It's snowy. It's the middle of Canada. People speak French. There's Thomas Hayden Church struggling with these three big old gas cans, and he's filling one of them up. And while it's being filled up, and this is the proprietor watching him, he reaches into his pocket, pulls out a hamburger, and takes a bite of it. What? <laughs> so he's just, the proprietor's uh. just seeing them, seeing this guy carrying hamburgers around in his pocket. Uh so and it's uh, it's still just, warm. You got to hurry up. Exactly right, right, exactly. Does uh, the mustard and stuff run? Has it, he paid? And he pays for the gas. He pays for yeah. He's he's uh he's he's definitely like he's got money, uh, but he just can't go home, and he's worried about uh, being seen and recognized. Uh, uh, all right. But yeah, because Tom did hamburgers. Because I thought you I thought you were talking about him stealing it. He do, he doesn't steal the hamburgers. He doesn't steal the gasoline. But because he's so cold, and by the way, the last line of this movie—I don't think it's a spoiler—the last line of this movie is, uh, "They say a guilty man is his own hangman, and they say that tomorrow will be a better day." But you know what I say? It's goddamn cold. And that's the last wow. line of the movie, which I love that. I love that line. Holy cats. Um, I love that. But so he pays for the stuff, but because it's so cold before he leaves at the exit to the diner, because there's a couple other people in there, he looks to make sure no one's looking at him, and he steals a scarf and a hat off of the rack where people hang their coats, uh, which I've always worried about. Like, why would you hang your coat at the entrance? Like, I, I wouldn't trust he my... He has a kid. Get it? What? It's, uh, the rapture. Letting oh right, 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 right. No, yeah. Well, nobody catches him stealing the the scarf and, and the hat. Yeah, so well, it's <laughs> got to be really cool to steal a scarf. Like leaving your umbrellas in a in a bucket. Right. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But this is Canada, where presumably they're trusting about that sort of thing, and yeah. So that's just a like a candy tray that you take things out of. Whitewash. Whitewash is what if the Cohen brothers had made Leave No Trace. <laughs> Uh, well, does it cook a mushroom? <laughs> it should cook a mushroom. Yeah. Well, it's, hey, wait, I don't even remember you ever mentioning this movie. So yeah, it was on my top ten. It's, it's super me. obscure. It's basically... No, Tom has, yeah. It, it's has premised he? on just how how hapless Thomas Hayden Church is. But I love Thomas Hayden Church's dumb characters. He, this is this is one of them. And, and he's just... They're, they're, it's, just, it's just gristle for him to chew on. This movie is just a perfect script for him, and it just has this pitch-perfect, dark, humorous tone to it. Uh, yeah. Hamburgers? Uh, what? Ostrich, ostrich burgers are really mean. I've never had one. I've had one in uh, Venice, and it was fine. Right. Kelly Wand, what is your second favorite sandwich in a movie? In Vacation... Um, Clark Griswold, Chevy Chase, is uh, he sees Christy Brinkley, 
I really like the scene for several reasons. Don't make any sense. I think that's why I like it. It's because even spatially, what's happening? It's like his wife and his kids are at the bench right beside him, and he's still dancing with like a hot blonde across the street, Christy Brinkley. But to flirt with her, he's like dancing with his sandwich as a prop. Try to steer <laughs> dance with it, and he's like tapping it to his face and like like patting it. And uh, the punchline is, they're like, "Hey, mom, sandwiches are wet." She's all, "Oh, the dog peed on all the sandwiches." And the old lady uh... shrugs and keeps eating it, and then Clark spits out the sandwich, and then Christy Brinkley reacts by looking puzzled. And then they cut to the next scene, like driving, like, wait, what? Did he cover? And also, I love it that he doesn't smell or taste pee on the sandwich while he's kissing the bread and eating it while he dances uh, off the street. It's, like, it's National Lampoon for you, Kelly Wand. It's Harvard. <laughs> I like the idea that he's dancing with bread to impress a supermodel. Like, that's kind of a slick for a dumbass character. Like, that would get it. She seems intrigued. Oh, like she gestures him over, like, oh, like. Well, right. keep in mind, Kelly Wan, at this point in time, Chevy Chase was pretty famous. He's kind of a handsome comic, too, by the Saturday Night Live standards. Uh, <laughs> a handsome one? Wasn't foul play? Like, oh, look, Chevy Chase is cool. Yeah. I, I would say that it's weird that uh, Christy Brinkley is it, interested in him, but she married Billy Joel, so. Also famous, by the way. In the movie? <laughs> <laughs> the dream girl character married Billy Joel instead of Chevy Chase. And, no, uh, but in real life, she married Billy Joel, so I have to concede the point that sometimes hot women fall for dorky men. They fall for dorky men that sing and play guitar. Especially yeah, guitar. if you if you can move, you're fine, yeah. Bill Collins probably got it. Dingus, what's the best sandwich in all of movie? <laughs> I, I'm just interested in the fact that Kelly Wand, we skipped over this. That Kelly Wand said, "Tom chose a hamburger." Uh, no, hamburger's a sandwich. Care, Tom. Because we had a, we had a, Tom and I, and our friend Sharon had a discussion, a fairly uh, strident con. Uh, con uh, conversation about whether a hot dog or a burger was a sandwich. Well, it's not called that, is it? It's called a hamburger. It has a separate name, and when you order one, you don't say, hey, I like Well, I, 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 I was just interested in the fact that you, Kelly, said, well, Tom called it a hamburger. Yeah, and then no one cared. I'm like, all right. I guess All right. can go. I felt I was like the Officer Flompus and Crawl, and you guys just drove around. <laughs> <a tree. laughs> Tom laughed at me for going. Hey, sir, ma'am, hamburger's not a sandwich. Okay, bye. <laughs> I was like the guy in the drive-through, and I gave it to him. Look, I guess Tom had a kid, so he can. Ha- I let him have the hamburger. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, my number one is... He's that guy. He's the hamburger guy. Just remember that. He's now <laughs> outed himself as yeah. a sandwich enforcement. All right. Okay. So All right. We had, no I'm just thing. telling you, we had a long... You didn't. We had, yeah, a, we had a long debate about whether hamburgers and hot dogs were sandwiches. I had a great hot dog one, and I was like, oh, I can't 
do it because I'm not Tom. Not that guy. I'm not that guy at the party who brings out hamburgers. <laughs> All right. My number one choice has this quote. Say the words, Modell. Say the words, and I'll give you a piece. Uh, so this is from the movie Diner, and I love this sandwich scene so Oh, yeah, this is good. Much. Good uh, so this is from the movie Diner, Barry Levinson, 1982. Uh, they're sitting at the table, uh, and the, the cast of this movie, if you guys – Man, this diner is a movie I can watch again and again. This is still a good scene. Um, And they're sitting at the table, and Paul Rubens, who, you know, aliens and mad about me, is sitting across from uh, from Steve Gutenberg. Paul Reiser. Right. Oh, sorry. Pee Wee Herman. Wow. Okay. Right. Paul Rubens. Sorry. Paul Reiser. Thank you, Tom. No, because I was like, wow, he was in that. I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm picturing Paul Rubens saying this line. <laughs> <laughs> you get me all that? Yeah. All right. What? Not that I know uh, the line. All right, Eric. You nerds. <laughs> Paging Doctor. All right. Anyway, so uh, he's sitting across the table from Steve Gutenberg. This is pre when he became police academy guy um and daniel daniel stern who's right next to him uh and uh paul paul reiser's character modell says to him um what sandwich is that and steve (laughs) and steve gutenberg's like just it's roast beef sandwich oh okay are you gonna finish that (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those they have this relationship that's just beautiful and it's beautifully encapsulated in this scene where he says you gonna finish that of course i'm gonna finish it i paid for it i'm gonna i'm gonna eat it would if you want it say the words say the words model if you want it i'll give you a piece no 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 it's like a swinger's bed almost yeah uh, if you want it, it's fine. I'll, I'll give you a piece. And Paul Rubens is just, no, no, no. If you're going to eat it, that's fine. But Paul if you're Rubens. not going to eat it, I'll <laughs> See, take it. Dingus really wants Pee Wee Herman to be in this movie. I know he keeps, yeah, uh, but he's changing. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, no, it's uh, kind of working in my head. Yeah, I can Paul see it. In a strange way, it's kind of good. <laughs> I prefer it. Alan Cummings, but I'll take Paul Rubens. And yeah, Jack... I got Paul Rubens and Oscar Isaac right now in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Vince Vaughn and, and Daniel Hirsch. Like every time, you guys. Every time, every time you're gonna yeah. do it. That's his thing. He ruins meals. Yeah, <laughs> every time. Uh, and so the two of them are just back and forth about if you want it, just ask. Just ask for a piece of the sandwich, and I'll give you a piece. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, if you're not gonna finish it, I'll, I'll finish it for you. <laughs> and he does that as well. This is the they, only good part of Diner that I remember. All oh, the popcorn trick. When they, dr- when they drive home as well, he's the same way. Are you, are you driving directly home or, do oh, you right. drive home or not? No, I'm just saying, if you're going home directly, I don't know. <laughs> he just won't ask directly. That's what he aggressive. Wants. Yeah. I, 
I just love I just love the way Paul What's the sandwich? Ruben's. It's just a it's just a roast bat. It's and maybe to Reuben, and that's yeah. Right, that's why thinking. Guinness is confused. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just a roast beef sandwich. I do like trying to get at the, but the source great, of why those things happen. The great moment is when Brilliant. Daniel Stern reaches over, grabs the sandwich, and takes a bite out of it, and um, and Steve Gutenberg's character is like, "I can't believe this just happened. You guys work against me," and Paul Reiser is just. Uh, the, the problem is you don't chew your food enough, and <laughs> the roast beef just collects in your heart. And he's like, "You do this every time." Which I just, character I am? Oh man, uh, I just love that whole Diner, thing Tom. and how that revolves around half of a roast beef sandwich. That's all. Uh, I saw. I was hanging out with my uh, my strict humorless grandma when i was a kid we we're gonna see a movie and they picked diner she's all oh look it says fast food and funny talk that'll sound that sounds good so i saw grandma so watching the popcorn scene <laughs> <laughs> and she made us get up and leave the raiders of the lost ark is playing next door so we watched raiders of the lost ark and i go see grandma this is where you're seeing right and she's all yeah and i go so what didn't you like about diner and she goes i just didn't have any story i went hmm just, uh, I, I'd probably give you that, but yeah, popcorn trip with your grandma. It's like a hardcore, like a nun kind of grandma. It just, <clears throat> it just popped right up through there. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I think it was my second R-rated movie, I guess, after Animal House. <laughs> my dad. Uh, I recommend for every father son. I love it's. You know, one of those, it's one of the many movies that has um, that has a Bobby Darren song that I really love. I just I, I love the the music in this movie. I love the way it's directed. Uh, I love the way these young actors who all of whom almost went on to become huge stars in one way or another. Uh, Kevin Bacon, another sandwich ingredient. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've been saving this ketchup bottle for months. I mean, he's such a, a psycho, weirdo, smart guy. Uh, I, I mean, I, I freaking, I freaking love watching Diner. Uh, it's just Tom one of those. Tom Chili's told me many times. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those pure joys for me. Because Diner's a biopic. It's one, it's one of those movies that I'll watch. When, uh, whenever I'm feeling low or whenever I'm feeling happy, I mean, it, it's just a great, it's just so well directed and just so well put together, but mainly it's because the actors, and this is Mickey Rourke, uh, yeah. starting out and just being amazingly, uh, weird and Brando like, I mean, it's just great. It's just a great, it's movie. reservoir dogs without fun parts. It's a law-abiding reservoir dogs. Uh, <laughs> right. All right, next. My oh. favorite sandwich in a movie, uh, David Gordon Green's very first movie is called George Washington. He did it before all the real girls. Uh, and in George Washington, it's set in uh, – David Gordon Green came through film school in, I think, North Carolina. So he shot 
uh, in North Carolina, it's a bunch of kids, and it's basically their story, but one of the places they hang out is on a railroad, and there's a bunch of railroad workers there, including Paul, <laughs> Sch Paul Schneider, uh, and the railroad workers, they wear these uh, pantsuits, these like jumpsuits, like Brie Larson might wear in uh, Captain Marvel. You know, they're like pilot suits, but it's what they wear because they're working on the railroad. And there's, uh, and this is just David Gordon Green's trademark, and not so much George Washington, which is like weird and lyrical, but in All the Real Girls, All the Real Girls is so much just fly on the wall uh, shooting. It's like very 70s or very Cassavetes, and I, I love All the Real Girls. But there's a scene in George Washington where the rail workers are just all standing there bantering with each other, and one guy is carrying on about – he's obviously like the alpha male of the group, and he's holding forth about something or other. And at a certain point, Paul Schneider starts tapping his pantsuit, and he says, hold up, hold up. They're two hot dogs with chili somewhere in my pantsuit. And then he's tapping around in his pantsuit in the rest of the scene. No, it's a non sequitur. He's not responding to anybody. Nobody's paying any attention to him. But that's the line. And he's patting around in his pantsuit for two hot dogs with chili. So my very favorite sandwich in all of moviedom are the non – he never finds them. The non-existent hot dogs with chili in Paul Schneider's pantsuit uh, in George Washington. Dingus, listen to what I'm – I know. Fucking unbelievable. Two out of three? Jesus what? Christ. Those are all sandwiches. There's no way. There's no. There's no, no rationale in the world for a hot dog not being a sandwich. There's no rationale in the world. Hamburger, for that. arguably. Oh, patty melts, hamburger. Like you get to six degrees, but a hot dog doesn't even cover the fucking insides. A sandwich is on top. It doesn't the cover the insides. Fucker. That's not the rule with the sandwich. Who made you the sandwich? The guy who gets to define the word sandwich. A sandwich is just meat in between bread. It's not even meat, by the way. You can have uh, a sandwich without meat. Dingus's muffin head sandwich, I think, didn't have any meat in it. That thing what? from New Orleans. I, f I forgot what that no, was. No, yeah. a muffaletta. It's not a muffin head. It does. It have... doesn't need to have meat. It does have meat, and it's meat. No, I'm saying a sandwich. I mean, you can have a cheese sandwich. Tom's not. Tom's trying to distract us like Fox News right now. But <laughs> a hot dog bun is the problem with your. Why is it a problem? Is a gyros a sandwich? Um, the same thing. You open a pita halfway through and you put uh, all the, the meat in it. It's a sandwich. There you go. I think if, yeah, if it's on all sides of it. Then Wait. A hot dog's not like that. Is yeah, it, it is. What, what did you mm. say that was? You cut a pita in half and you put meat you called in Called a hero it. a gyros. Is that a sandwich? A no, he called it a gyros. It's a, it's a gyro. What are you talking about? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't speak Greek, but I'm pretty sure that there's some weird pronunciations involved or, in those letters. It's it's actually a hero. <laughs> I always assume I'm pronouncing everything wrong, so I just go, unless I'm sure. Oh, Kelly Wan has quit the field about hot dogs being sandwiches, and I claim victory. Sweet. That was me leaving the field? Just <laughs> yeah, get, yeah. Like, you were moving on to make observations about something else, about pronunciation. You have to stay on the topic, or you're <laughs> kicked out of the court. <laughs> well, all right, Kelly Wan, show me how it's done. What's the best sandwich in all of moviedom, then? My favorite sandwich in Moviedom is in Breakfast Club when Ali Sheedy replaces the pimento loaf with Pixie Sticks <laughs> Cap Crunch. Eats it. I wouldn't have done that, but I like that. I feel bad for today's generation. There's probably not Ali Sheedy-like characters. Like, they would watch it so you go, that's weird, or that's great. Like, they wouldn't do that now. I feel like we've lost something as a nation. Today's we, we have Chloe Moritz Grace, Kelly Wand. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Would she eat Pixie Sticks and Cap Crunch uh, on a sandwich, or would she eat them separately? Think about it. All right. I'll give that a thought. I, I actually kind of love that pick. And yeah. How does, how does she uh, 
how did she, she mashes it too yeah she, she you hear the crunch crunches it down <laughs> but how does she adorn her the picture that she's drawing oh with dandruff it's dandruff still, yeah that's good good can i tell you guys i saw a movie this weekend with judd nelson as the I'm villain listening. He's the villain. Uh, He's the psychopathic, murderous villain in this terrible. Uh, it's basically a dead calm ripoff in this terrible, like nautical thriller movie. Yeah. So. What well, I, I kind of like Judd Nelson actually. Well, maybe you should check it out. Casper Van Dien is the okay. Real quick uh, update. Wow, Casper Van Dien. I haven't heard Buried that. Buried the lead. Well, I have a quick update for you guys. I'm keeping a list of actors who haven't seen Jaws. First on this list, Cameron Diaz in the movie In Her Shoes. Cameron Diaz is supposed to be drunk, and uh, Tony Collette's dropping her off at their mother's house, their sister's. And uh, Cameron Diaz, at her father's house, by the way, and Cameron Diaz is at the front door, and she hears her stepmother coming down the stairs to let her in. And it's supposed to be, like, she doesn't she doesn't get along with the stepmother. She thinks the stepmother is a shrew and is evil. So she says, here comes my stepmother, and she starts doing, she starts trying to do the Jaws theme. And she does it something like, da-dun. But and she's drunk. But I'm convinced. <laughs> like a show exactly. I'm convinced Cameron Diaz doesn't know the theme to Jaws. So Cameron Diaz, number one on the list of actors who haven't seen Jaws. Number Maybe the two. Character. Number two on the list, Casper Van Dien. Because in this movie, Dead Water, there's a part where it's a kind of a Chekhov's gun, where he pulls out a kind of a, a crossbow harpoon gun, uh, and he shows it to his buddy on the boat, and he says. This is like the gun that Quentin used to shoot Bruce. No, 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 no. And, and the the girl, who's obviously too young to have seen Jaws, says, "Who who is that?" And then the buddy's like, "Oh, that's the that's in Jaws. He's talking about the movie Jaws." Casper Van Dien thinks there's a character in the movie Jaws named Quentin. But he also and, knows the shark's name is Bruce, which is kind of obscure. Well, no, what it is is somebody wrote the line correctly. Casper Van Dien didn't oh, deliver it up. correctly. He read it wrong. He misremembered the name because he's never yeah, seen Jaws. True. So Cameron Dien, Casper Van Dien have not – Diaz, Casper Van Dien have not seen Jaws. So I'm keeping a list, celebrities. Don't let your name get on this list. Kelly you Wand. Starship Troopers and not Jaws? I had to actually go see a movie – uh, where he played James Dean. I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's probably James Dean. I like him in Starship Troopers. Uh, but I had to go see uh, a screening of that. Uh, I don't know why. I think I had a friend who was representing him, and I went to see the movie, and it was just like, Ugh, why am I watching Casper Van Dien play James Dean? Can you could do worse things. In the in the spectrum of actors who have the word Van in their name, he's below Max von Sydow, but above <laughs> James Vanderbeek. So it could be way worse. So that's your over under for Catherine. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> what about uh, Van Halen? Not an actor. <laughs> well, a hot dog. All right. Kelly Wand, what have <laughs> the listeners got for us for their favorite sandwiches? I'd watch Castro Van Dien play Quentin. Quentin. My God. Qu Could you imagine if Robert Shaw's character's name was Quentin? I don't even know, like, what, who's Quentin in any movie that he got it mixed up with? Is my Quentin, I think of Quentin Crisp. Who that, there's a very specific uh -oh. type of person. But, yeah. I mean, Quint isn't really a name. I think people would know Quentin as a name before Quint. 
Um, but if you've seen Jaws, Casper Van Dien. You know who else doesn't know is the director of that scene because he didn't realize well, he fucked up the joke. Well, if he when, knows Bruce, that's the thing is it's a cheap and dirty movie. That I can't imagine they did enough takes. I mean, I'm sure the the director and the writer knew that Casper Van Dien screwed up the line. They just I don't think cared enough about their movie to do another take. We're only got Van Dien for 15 minutes today. Let's, gotta, could be. It could be. Yeah. What like year? It, what year did it come out? This year, I just watched it this weekend. It's some dopey oh, thriller right. where, uh, yeah, Judd Nelson's the evil villain, Casper Van Dien, who spoiler turns out to be a villain as well. Uh, they're on a boat with another couple, so it, it's literally just the four actors like on a boat. What's it like, called? I really do think it was Dead Water. I really do think it was something that was shot <laughs> just because somebody got access to a yacht and they talked Casper Van Dien and Judd Nelson into spending the weekend with them, <laughs> shooting it. I like how they. What they did with Dead Called in the title. Right. <laughs> well, I watched it because I thought there'd be zombies or something in it, but nope. Well, I was thinking right. maybe he wanted to be in the next Tarantino movie, and that's why he said it like that. Ah, there's a Quentin for you. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Kelly Wan, the listeners, I'm sure they love their movie sandwiches. What have they got for us that we missed? Some of them did. Ben Halliburton. Hi, all. I set out to troll Kelly Wan, but turns out most of the anime movies, which sandwiches appear, aren't very good. See, that's the thing. You're tricking yourself. I told only myself. Number three. But he did do it. All right, you went to the trouble. I guess I have to go to the trouble. If you watch two hours of anime, six hours of anime, I can do two minutes of reading. You. Number three, Tales from Earthsea. Is this, a video? this might be a video game. <laughs> yeah, it's a Ursula Le Guin. Oh, okay. No, it's not. It's bullshit anime. Uh, 2006, Goro Miyazaki's grim and torpid adaptation. Oh yeah, of the beloved books by Ursula K. Le Guin is hard to like, especially with an aimless protagonist like Aaron being shuttled between seemingly unconnected scenes by the wizard Sparrowhawk. <laughs> See, it's Le Guin names. All right. Maybe Goro... I don't hear a sandwich yet. Maybe Goro should have stayed a landscape architect. Still, at one point in the movie, Sparrowhawk's friend Tanar makes Aaron some delicious-looking cheese and onion sandwiches. That sounds fun. i got to stop doing these podcasts before I eat. Or doing these topics. Number two, Children Who Chase Lost Voices from Deep Below, 2011. Mikado Shinke of Your Name fame really likes Miyazaki and once tried to make his own version of Castle in the Sky. The results were underwhelming. There's a nice moment where the heroine, Asuna, shares her sandwiches, <laughs> the details, with a mysterious boy from another world while they listen to music on her crystal radio. So we know more about the radio than the sandwich from that description. <laughs> Number one, Ponyo, 2008. <laughs> I mean, he did more work than Tom. I have literally no opinion about Ponyo besides raking it as minor Miyazaki on par with Whisper of the Heart. The scene where Suzuki, Suzuki feeds Ponyo a sandwich and Ponyo decides to become human because of it is pretty great. I don't believe a word of any of this. <laughs> None of these things happen. There's no cheese onion sandwiches. You gave up on your own theme. 
I guess the lesson here is that Miyazaki, Miyazaki adjacent anime really know how to do good food. Thanks for the podcast. John <laughs> Renninger writes, the first one I thought of in Best Ones from John Favreau's movie, Chef. Dingus! Hello! It's sad. That was a really good pick, by the way, Dingus, I thought. It also made me really hungry. There's a scene where his strange son's cooking Cuban sandwiches with and John Leguizamo, giving away the sandwiches to workers who are helping set up their food truck. The son suggests serving a burnt sandwich. The father goes into a long explanation of what it means to be a chef, which connects with his son and makes the son realize that they can't serve the burnt sandwich. Movie uh, has a I'm, cat. I'm so pleased that somebody else picked that. That makes me so happy. I was always on the verge of watching that movie, and I somehow never did. But it sounds great. Um, the movie has a ridiculous cast. It includes Dustin Hoffman, Robert Denny Jr., Scar Joe, Oliver Platt, Bart, Bobby Cannavale, and Sophie Vergara. I also appreciate you making me rewatch this movie again for all the great Cuban music. The quote from the obvious other two is, I'll have what she's having and when Harry met Sally. Uh. That was my mom's pick, dude. Meg Ryan is having a turkey sandwich, uh. and she, of course, has to rearrange. Billy Crystal's having Cat's Deli's more traditional pastrami on rye. I might have gotten a ham on Swiss when I was there. <laughs> and then the, he ends the email. There's no period or signature. It's just like, oh, yeah, that ham and Swiss, in parentheses. I like that. It's a classy move. Jason Maltby writes, number three, a lettuce, cheese, ham, and tomato sandwich is featured early on in the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, but then the other two are white people thank god oh i hate reading this okay uh, lettuce cheese ham and tomato sandwiches featured early on in the hey Al miyazaki film Padio on the cliff by the sea <laughs> you know what's sad i actually would probably watch these really baked ah suzuki a human boy i just don't like reading it aloud that's the punishment not the real names Suzuki, a human boy who finds and rescues Ponyo, tries to offer the titular goldfish princess a corner of his sandwich bread, but Ponyo instead yanks out and gobbles up the thick slice of ham inside. Is anyone really listening to this podcast? Where her father, the masterful sea wizard Fujimoto. What? Wasn't that Super James' sidekick? Puts her in a big bubble for a timeout. And attempts to talk her out of her desire to live above the ocean's surface. She responds by yelling, I want ham! Anya's love of ham is linked to her longing for humanity and is a testament to the fact that she's already on her way to becoming one. Oh, a ham? Gotcha. Take that, Bobby. You've just been wanted. Hamanity. Tak Fujimoto, wow. by the way, uh, was the uh, cinematographer on uh, Silence of the Lambs and the second unit director on, one of, uh, on I think, Empire Strikes Back. Anyway, go ahead. Number two. In Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Oh, it's worse. <laughs> you mean, where's the anime? I miss it now. It's white people anime. Yeah, I know. That's lamer. You're right. Good point, Malpy. Harry first meets Ron Weasley while reading the express train to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Oh. They never acronym that shit. The old HS double W. As they get to know each other, the Honey Duke's express food trolley comes. 
I think I read this book, Tom. I read two Harry Potters and went, all right, please. Comes by peddling magical confections, birdie bots every flavored beans, cauldron cakes, chocolate frogs, Drupal's best blowing gum, jelly slugs, licorice wands. So many directions. And pumpkin pasties. So many directions. All line the cart. Regrettably, Ron turns down the trolley, which is good. <laughs> said to read the whole thing. Holding up a sandwich that his mother, Molly Weasley, packed for him. This corned beef sandwich is a sad hand grenade shaped mass of squashed bread and meat wrapped tightly in a yard of cling film. Oh, it's so joicy. Seeing this wretched excuse for a lunch, Harry generously purchases the entire trolley's worth of candy to share with his new friend and his pet rat, Scabbers. It's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. But I thought Harry was broke. How come he can buy the whole trolley? That's the moment Hermione's all, I'm gonna fuck that guy. Number one, the Pope of Greenwich Village. Huh, what a roar. Polly assembles a huge sandwich and explains how artificial inspiration is why his horse is destined for greatness. After buying a bag full of sandwich materials at a deli and sitting down in a park, Polly proceeds to talk about how he and Jimmy the Cheese Man stole jizz of some <laughs> champ meat stallion. As a result, now each owned a third of the racehorse, all while stuffing, staggering about some cold cuts into a two-foot-long split-top hoagie roll. <laughs> I know, you can't talk about jism. After slapping down a couple or glazed donut. After slapping down a couple dozen cheese slices on top, the resulting Italian sub is so incredible that Mickey Rourke remarks, You know you ought to get a permit. A permit for what? To shit in the street. You eat like a horse. <laughs> Love the show, Jason M. <laughs> I like that. I like all these picks. They're delightful. Luke S. writes, first an apology to Kelly one after your last 3 by 3 pick. Must be cute. What? No, what? Huh? What? No, no, it's all... Oh, I'm a fucking idiot. Luke S. Happy Gilmore. Happy parlays his love of Subway sandwiches into a commercial gig. Ugh. He tees up a foot long, swings his club, and sends it flying straight into a hungry fan's mouth. Talk about a hole in one. White man's anime. Classic. <laughs> Weird science. Pa discovering that his brother's friend is way too drunk. Oh, yeah, this part. Oh, this is a good pick. Uh, Chet tries to make him sick by saying, how about a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray? And then uh, Nathan McCall plays with his lips. Happiness. Bill Maplewood, the film's horrifying pedophile family man. Knocks his family out with drugged ice cream during his son's sleepover. The object of Bill's desires does not eat it, however, forcing Bill to come up with a plan B. Billy, would you like a sandwich? Yeah. So his number one pick is the roofie that the guy rape, date rapes a child in. That's a pretty memorable, uh, chilling sandwich. Yeah, that's so the sandwich stuff. is mostly sandwiches are pretty inoffensive, but this is the most offensive sandwich I could ever imagine. Yep, it's like white sandwich too. I remember. 
Uh, Arthur Giovanagelli writes, number three, Happy Gilmore. At the urging of Julie Bowen. I remember her. Julie uh, Bowen is in Happy Gilmore. Oh. Yeah, she's the love interest. Oh. She comes out wearing a little... He has like a fantasy about her because he's having trying to find his happy place. She's like... German waitress. I'm convinced that all pe- that that dudes who watch Modern Family are broken into two camps. There are those who are more into Sofia Vergara and those who are more into Julie Bowen. And I've always been a Julie Bowen fella. She's great. I love her. Um, why do I got to pick between them? Yeah, you got to, Kelly. But you don't watch Modern Family. No. But still, pick. Who? You're you're more of a, a Vergara dude. Okay. Well. Yeah. But I like Rosalind Sanchez. I like a lot of them. Them. <laughs> Number three. Happy go on. At the urging of Julie Bowen, Adam Sandler signs an endorsement deal with Subway, and we see commercials of him selling sandwiches that he seems to genuinely enjoy. Oh, this was one of my alternates. Number two, War of the Worlds. Tom. Actual sandwich. The Spielberg one? Up... Oh, yeah. yeah. Since birth. Yeah. Birth. Like, yeah. yeah. Also one of my favorite Jonathan Glazer movies. Wait, what's what's going on right now? I don't remember. I don't know. Something. I got confused. There. Since when are you allergic to peanut butter? It's the two. So there's the two yeah. fannings. There's the talented one and the pretty one. War right. of the World stars the talented one. Right. And there's the scene where where Tom Cruise is just trying to establish some normalcy. Is going to make sandwiches. And uh, Dakota Fanning is like, I'm allergic to peanut butter because he's putting peanut butter on since bread. When? And he says, Since when? And she says, Birth. <laughs> and that's oh. also a Jonathan. Like- Glazer movie he, with Nicole Kidman and Cameron Bright. So there, I've explained oh, it. Oh, now I get it. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm dumb. That's a good joke. Um, yeah, he when Tom Cruise is like uh, taking the bread out, he like deals it. He's all one for the house. Right, right. Yep. I like that too. You know, I want to change my number one pick, Kelly Wan. Can I swap in the uh, War of the Worlds for George Washington and Paul Schneider's Invisible Hot Dogs? You could have, dude. <laughs> you never let me do it. It's, it's a really I, good choice. I haven't seen that in forever. Is that before he goes out to get the solenoids? Oh, it's after. It's, it's after they've done their. They're driving to, uh, I think, meet the mom. Monster. But it's after they freaked out and left town, and there's that whole 360 swirling around the camera while they're driving down the freeway. And uh, it's before the airplane it. lands. The airplane will land on right. the house. Uh, yeah, shortly That's thereafter. That's in the basement of that house. Right. The sandwich house. So they used the last of the bread before the plane <laughs> landed on the bread. And then and then Nicolas Cage went, hey, hey. <laughs> By the way, plane crashes in movies are so stupid because when planes crash, they're no. When planes crash, they're not intact like that. Like a movie plane crash, the plane has to have like a wing or an engine. Like the the form of the plane is still there, like intact, because that right. says plane crash. But when planes actually crash, all that stuff just crumples and buckles and is shredded. Planes don't crash oh. neatly and then just sort of like tilt on the ground and have their wings still sticking out. Yeah, they don't crack in half like a tree falling down. Yeah, so that's one of the – I mean visually it's great, but that's one of the stupidest things in War of the Worlds when they wake up and, oh, there's been a plane crash in the neighborhood and there's just a, a broken plane sitting there. That's not how jetliners crash. And you never see the bodies in PG-13. Well, also, like again, parts. by the way, there don't tend to be bodies. They, they People disintegrate when planes crash. Uh, I mean, it depends, too. Like, if it's a controlled river, landing, but generally most plane crashes are uncontrolled landings. Uh, and, right. and, and everything just shatters and is a million pieces. It's, yeah. It's not cinematic. Or, uh, right. 
in random hearts, they're still in their seats. And it's or they, they shatter over water and, and the debris spreads all over the place. Final Destination does it right. And Fight Club. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about Fight Club. Fight Club has a lot of uh, teachable lessons. It does, doesn't it? Right. Number All right, two, so sorry. I, so we had the War of the Worlds pick. Uh, uh, great Sam. That was, by the way, that was my number one pick too. Wow. What a coincidence. Wow, you've got a it lot a of sandwich. number one picks. Yeah, now you only have one <laughs> dumb one left. Wrote <laughs> <laughs> the crib from a listener. <laughs> Arthur Giovannagelli writes, he doesn't make them correctly, which his son is quick to point out, leaving Cruz frustrated and manic. Um, number one, Prestige. Hmm. See, I'm not, it's like, I'm trying to remember it. Yeah. I, I, I can't see, I can't even. Do that? No, I can't even see. remember it. Sam, yeah, what does Arthur have for us? It sounds cool. Century? When Hugh Jackman and David Bowie sit down to talk about the machine Jackman wants... They are eating lunch, and we see a small silver platter with many small sandwiches on it. Platters that seems like something meat. that Nikola Tesla would eat. Yeah, that's true. Platter is a neat little detail that provides a humorous accompaniment to Bowie's man's grasp, exceeds his nerve speech. Like sandwich is the grasp. No, I mean, it's the nerve. Sandwich is the nerve, platter is the grasp. All right, that's all we have. All right, runners up. That's all. Oh, I got three. All right, um, are they hot dogs or hamburgers? No. Right. I do, okay, well, I had one that was a hot dog. But I know I'm going to save it for a hot dog topic to torture you. Well, Bastard. I've already got one good hot dog one, so. I'll just do you? It. Yeah, George Washington with Paul Schneider. Hold on, I got a chili dog in my pants somewhere. Hold on. I, I love that line so much. It's just such it's so weird and random. Yeah. I, I love that guy so much. Uh especially having seen Parks and Rec multiple times with my kid. Uh I just love that guy. Did he improvise it? I wouldn't be surprised. So he uh and David Gordon Green actually went to school together uh and he was in also you know he was his lead in all the real girls he was in both the david gordon green short films so i i don't doubt and the way david gordon green obviously worked very improvisationally and by the way in all the real girls this is easy to forget but uh danny mcbride and shay wiggum are so good in that because again it's just them like just shooting the shit hanging out and it's super improvised uh so yeah i, I don't doubt that paul schneider's weird Hang on, I got a hot dog in my pantsuit somewhere. Why? That, why? Because again, it's a purpose of nothing. It, it relates to nothing anybody is saying. He just right. randomly says it, and he's the rest of the scene. He's patting his pantsuit like he's looking for well, which so pocket specific. has a hot dog. It is so specific, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's chili dog too, like the dumbest thing to have in your. Pocket. Exactly. It's even dumber than Thomas Hayden Church putting hamburgers in his pockets. Yep. Yeah, hamburger. Uh, uh, there's no sauce. Is all the real girls the one where he says sand gets in his crannies? Nature That's gets in his attack of the clones. Nature gets oh. in his crannies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because uh, 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 Zoe Deschanel is going to go out in the woods, and she's like, "Come along," and he's like, "No, nature gets in my crannies." There's right. a, there's a lot of that. I mean, again, it's all improv, and a lot of it is you know the actors screwing up words or idioms, or it's just so naturalistic to a fault. I, I love it, and it, it some of it. Is, is sort of clumsy. It's very definitely, uh, you can tell, an early but very talented filmmaker. 
Uh, but yeah, I love all the role girls. Patricia Clarkson, like, is so good in that too. God, I love her. Yeah, She's she awesome. Is. Yeah. I don't really care for that movie, but I love the word. I love that when you say that the title of that movie immediately, I think of the word crannies. Well, I picked it actually to troll you, Dingus, because I thought that was the movie with the hot dog scene. So I watched all of All the Real Girls, and the hot dog scene didn't come up, and I realized, oh, that must have been from George Washington. So I was hoping to troll Kelly with the hot dog and you with All the Real Girls. I couldn't do the full <laughs> full on thing. So I hope you got what you were expecting. <laughs> it's me. exactly what I hoped for, Kelly. So you didn't, Fury. you didn't get the full Monty then? I did not. As far as the hot dog is concerned. I got half the Monty. Whoa, Dingus, did, you just made it dirty. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> um, one of my alternates, Tom, is from the motion picture Spanglish. Oh. Which Adam Sandler is three. It's the perfect sandwich. He calls it. It's three slices of bacon, fried up perfectly in a pan and drained, plus melted Monterey Jack, mayo, a fried egg, a tomato, lettuce, and a pinch of salt and pepper. And then he cuts it in half, like Dave, and then gives half of it to his hot, sexy Hispanic babe because his wife just cheated. Oh, right. So it's not for Taylor It's for the hot, the the yeah, maid that James, that James Brooks cheated with and felt guilty about. So he made this movie. Uh, yeah. uh, because of that, I'm guessing. In my psychoanalyze the drug. No, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing that James Wood slept with his maid and made this movie to sort of get it off of his guilty conscience. That's my guess, because otherwise, there's no excuse for that execrable movie. It's horrible. Well, she. Well, so gotta... then he got cheated on, too. I don't know. Well, it's got a super hot sex scene, though. Oh, uh, yeah, with Tia. <laughs> I don't think he sleeps with Paz Vega. I think they have a really exciting conversation in a refrigerator at his restaurant. Well, that's also James Woods. Like, I, that's the thing. Is, I think he, the here's the thing. I think he slept with his housekeeper, and he yeah. felt bad about it. So he made a movie about it in which it's not his fault because Taylioni's uh, uh, cold and because he never actually slept with her. That's my seer, That's my theory. Psychoanalyzing Spanglish. I slept with my housekeeper too, but I did not feel bad about it. <laughs> 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 the best looking kid we have. I she polished it. my doorknobs. I just want to point out that Tom called him James Woods. James L. Woods, what's really? his name? What's his it's name? Brooks. It's Brooks. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah, I like it when Tom mixes someone up for somebody he doesn't like. Or like oh. <laughs> yeah, David Cronenberg. Yeah, if I'd liked him, I would have gotten his name right. <laughs> but it's best when it's like someone of a different race. You, oh, you see your race, you see they look alike. Um, oh, and okay, so this is my hot dog one time. In Bachelor Party, there's a part where they go behind, they go to Chippendales, uh, where all the ladies are at. Nick. There's a guy named Nick the Dick. And so yeah. they go, they're going to play a, a trick on Tawny Katane's mom, who's like kind of hoity toity or something. So a guy named Nick the Dick, they're gonna put his dick on like a platter uh, in a bun, and then the old lady like tries to keeps trying to grab it and pick it up. There's a part in the kitchen, and then they all laugh at her. Ha ha ha! Old lady's touching the dick, but she's really just pulling. She keeps pulling it over and over, and the guy just makes. I think he's gay and half Asian. I didn't know he was gay when I saw the movie, or the character was, but. He's just like, Nick, the dick. Like, he talks about himself in a certain way. But, like, they clap for him, Tom Hanks, and then he, like, wiggles it on the plate and, like, it throws off. Like, you don't see the dick, but you, like, see lettuce fly off the plate where he, like, kind of 
My favorite thing about what you said about Bachelor Party, I didn't know that it was a Tony Contain movie. I might have to check that out. Oh, yeah. No, she's good in it. All right. You didn't see Bachelor Party? No, why would I see Bachelor Party? There's a part where they're watching a 3D movie, and uh, a school bus that Tom Hanks is fighting the villain in crashes through the screen, and <laughs> everyone jerks away from the screen like, whoa, that's 3D. And then a chick wearing 3D glasses gets punched in the face. <laughs> and she's all and the way right before that she's all this 3d sucks and then there's like a real fight going on and then she gets punched in the face and she's all wow but she's not being like it knocks her head back and then back forward and she goes wow like she likes the 3d and it, she keeps the glasses on you think of those i love jokes that can't happen they're my favorite is is that <laughs> like the chevy movie chase where... eating pea bread it's funny to me wow. is that the movie where he's playing tennis with the woman and he Treats yeah. it like baseball, and he just yeah, he's like, all, oh. uh-huh. and it keeps hitting that guy in the head. Their neighbor, and there's like tons of tennis balls over it, and it's my head. And then the guy's like to his wife, <laughs> and they hate him. Like he's at Tony Katane's parents' house. It's like the in-laws, and they can't stand <laughs> Tom Hanks. And the dad's yeah. like, you know, Tom, or what? I forget what his name is. He's like, I don't like you. And he's Tom's all like, well, what? What don't you like about me? And he goes, you're obnoxious. You're stupid. You're annoying. You're, like he goes on for like two minutes, just like different adjectives. Like you're, not, you're a piece of shit. You have no ambition. You're the worst. <laughs> I hate how you dress. Like he just keeps going. Tom Hanks like not. He's like, oh okay. And then when they're eating dinner, Tom Hanks holds out meat and whistles, but they don't have a dog. That's another thing I like about bachelor party. Been on that date. Oh, it's uh, so good. Bachelor party. I, Did I school just, for it. I just remember him like. I th- I think this is the movie where he hits the tennis ball as if he's hitting a baseball over the fence, and he's like, yeah, ah. yeah, he drops the racket, and he yeah. does it every time. <laughs> and That's everybody else wants to like, marry him. School bus driver that Tony Katane wants to have sex with forever, monogamously. <laughs> you know, like norm in normal life, you know that happens. Adrian Zemedz's buddy, and there's a guy who's like Bobcat. Adrian Zemez, Adrian Zemez in that? Yeah, he's the best friend, and they throw beer. Oh cans. my god! Yeah. See, and uh, what's her name from Bosom Buddies? The Wendy Sp- Joe Sperber's in it as uh, Tom Hanks's brother's wife. I can't believe we just talked about Adrian Zemed. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm picture. I'm trying to picture Tom's face right now. Like five minutes of bachelor party. I don't even know who Adrian Zemed is. Oh, you hear that, Dingus? Why would yeah. I you see why he has to say hot dog now? Because he has no frame of reference. <laughs> I'm guessing it's someone from TV. Dude, you didn't see Grease 2 or TJ Hooker, bro? Not TJ Hooker's TV. I, no, yeah. But Grease 2 is... Uh... Grease 2 is not canon. Oh, I thought it was the only one that was... <laughs> is it, so he's the John Travolta in Grease 2? No, he's the stalker Channing. <laughs> he's the friend of the popular he's, he's the beauty school dropout interesting yeah. choice alright I think she's in that too I think Didi Khan for some reason is back back to school again do you have other uh, uh... oh no I'm sorry yeah Nick the Dick uh, that endless dissertation sorry all right, so Dingus, if you don't have uh, runners up, what are we doing for the next? No, three I do. I do. Oh, have yes. Okay. Up. Yep. Uh, it's from um, and uh, I am going to go into your territory of burger territory for a moment. Well, they're sandwiches. And, I don't know why you wouldn't. Uh, well, after it, Nick the Dick, I've just 
It's from one of my favorite movies from the last few years called Certain Women. Um, and there's three different sandwiches in this movie. I could have just done this category with this movie. Uh, when Kristen Stewart, our modern... Brando. Thank you. Um, Charlie's uh, Angel. Brando of Charlie's Angels. Has to drive up, you know, four hours to teach this law class, domestic law, to a bunch of teachers. Um, And they keep just asking her questions about, like, oh, what do I do if a student's mean to me kind of questions. But there's this one woman in the class who just totally has a crush on her and takes her to this diner afterward. But she's very shy. She's very careful. And Kristen Stewart, you know, before they go to the diner, she's just, is there someplace around here where I can get something to eat? And mainly it's a truck stop. And she gets this great burger. She cuts it in half. She eats it. And she pushes the plate across. And she's like, do you want the other half? And the other woman... uh just just says no i i oh, no no cuz she's just deferent deferential i'm sorry if the hiccup hiccups all of a sudden oh that's what um, it is yeah uh she she's <laughs> I just, hate those yeah i do too yeah. but it happens yeah. every now, oh, now yeah. and then uh but she says she's just defer, deferential she says no i don't i don't want your sandwich um but Clearly, Kristen Stewart needs to eat before her long drive back because her law firm is kind of griefing her in this job. And Certain Women is just amazing. It's just an amazing, amazing movie. Uh, And right after this, that woman who has taken her to this diner goes into a convenience store and takes one of those plastic sandwiches, like in one of those plastic containers – you know, like the the um, the triangle container, uh, and grabs that, pays for it, and eats that instead instead of having decided to take the the hamburger. And then later on, there's this great cheese sandwich thing that happens. So uh, and this is after they take a. Ho- a horse ride together and i'm sorry again about the, the hiccups um uh, it's it's uh it's just this great cheese sandwich moment and it's just cheese it's just a cheese sandwich it's just a beautiful grilled cheese sandwich and i'm just telling you if you know how to make a be- a beautiful grilled cheese sandwich you know what you're doing so it <laughs> no i'm ser- i'm serious with you so uh, anyway, certain women. I think that's true. Tom, do you have one? I do not, no. But uh, I am curious. Obviously, he struggled to come up with three. No, those are great. I, those are great. Everyone, a lot. Of, those are. I'm surprised more of those didn't come up in the, the listener submissions. Oh, dude, I'm gonna so do hot dogs in three months. Fucker. <laughs> um. Yeah, diner, Tom. Remember? I do. Yes. Yes. All right, All right Dingus. All right, what do you got for us? All right, next week, uh, or next month, insects or bugs in movies. 
not to Tom does all arachnids. Not no not not to include spiders. Crustaceans, amoebas. You don't get to include spiders. Single-celled organisms. What about bacteria? (laughs) What about the Black Plague? uh, Please. Insects or bugs in movies. Insects or bugs. What's a bug? I know what an insect is. What's What's a a bug? A a bug like a listening device. Oh, so the conversation's my number one. Right. Conversation's my number one pick right off the bat. Good job, guys. And I don't have a number two. It's only one movie. With you got a month to come up with one. Yeah, watch uh, *Enemy of the State*, the Tony Scott thing. There might be bugs in that one. Yeah. I like the Dingus qualified it with bugs, like sex or bugs. <laughs> I just Any... wanted to make it clear that it's not spiders. But bugs are okay. Yeah, but I would call a spider a bug, though. So in a way, you've confused the issue more. Yeah, Dingus, come on. By, you've muddied the waters by adding bugs. A spider is sex. a spider is a bug just as much as a hot dog is a sandwich. I'm just trying to bug you guys. Yeah. All right, so Dingus, when do the listeners need to – what can the listeners do to sub, uh, submit these, and when should they get them in? Uh, <laughs> I'm starting to like the hiccups, i got to be honest with you. I'm I was not, liking it. I like the hiccups the second you said horse ride, and then you hiccuped. And like, ah, I like – like I was picturing like a horse hiccuping. All right, never mind. Sorry. Please continue. Insects or bugs? Horses. It's such a they great count. scene when she gets on the horse. Oh, man. Such a great scene. Uh, well, certain because... women, when their horse is found. <laughs> it's that old saying. It's, right? uh, well, the, well, the line of dialogue fellow. Is, um, it's been a long time, and the woman on the horse says, don't overthink it. I mean, it's just a great little moment. It's like, don't overthink it. But it's not about... Have they been the... on a horse or that since he's seen her? No, it's two women, and oh, right. and it's really not about riding a horse. Uh, it's it's something else that's oh. going on, and it's it. Oh man, I freaking love that movie. Certain women. Anyway, to answer Tom's question through my hiccups, is to say, uh, please send in your suggestions for our three by three. For insects and bugs, but not spiders. To uh, three by three, three x three at quarter three to come. That's three x three at quarter two three dot com. Get that to us by August twenty fifth, midnight Pacific, and we'll read that on the air. Otherwise, you know you're going to go see. Did you guys know this is the actual title is Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. It's like, no. American yep, it's, it's like Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> it's a, no way. So, Are you uh, we're going to see Hobbs and Shaw, and you guys listening know you're going to go next weekend as well. So when you do, let us know what you thought. Send your thoughts to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. Even though they're not a 3x3, three three, tell us what you thought about Hobbs and Shaw. Get that, to us, get that to us by midnight Pacific on August 4th. And we'll include your comments uh, when we record the podcast. So join us for that next week. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Because I have Netflix, Netflix thinks I'd enjoy Amazon Prime. One, two, three, not only you and me. Got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three,
Because I watched Why Him, Netflix thinks I'd like her. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Because I watched seven, Netflix thinks I'd like eight and a half a little bit more. You want to bet that she goes for my pecker first thing? Wait, that's Paul Rubin in the theater? Get it? 